So, any questions tonight? Yes. Um, I understand that bhakti is, at least I think I understand that bhakti is a path where uh, it's very enjoyable to practice. And unlike other paths that are more austere, uh, where more suffering comes, but I was wondering when suffering does come, in the practice of bhakti, how can one deal with it in a way to purify himself? Mm-hmm. It's said in Bhagavad Gita about Rajavidya, Rajaguyam. These are the words with which the ninth chapter begins. The ninth chapter is in the middle of the book of 18 chapters. And usually you hide a valuable thing in the middle of the book. So, the ninth chapter, the essence of the Gita, and the conclusion of the Gita is, is given, and it's reiterated practically verbatim at the end of the 18th chapter. And while the chapter, the ninth chapter, begins with the words Rajavidya Rajaguyam, means the, Rajavidya means the king of knowledge, Rajaguyam means the king of secrets, that secret is described at the end of the chapter as, and this is the verse that's repeated almost verbatim in the 18th chapter, manmana bhava madbhakto madhyajimam namaskuru. To be a devotee of myself, Krishna said. This is the ninth chapter, it's in the middle, sixth chapter where the theology of the Gita is uh, developed. The first six, six chapters develop the uh, understanding of the self, the real self, the atma, and differentiated from the false self, the ahankar, which means, ahankar means to make, I make, to make up an I, and the made up I, I'm American, Indian, man, woman, as may be the case. So the real I is described there, and, and then the prospect of the I, if you will, um, comes into focus in the middle six chapters. And as much as the I is a unit of being, knowing, and loving, satchit ananda, and to love, our capacity is enhanced when there's another. Hmm. It can be self-love and uh, atmananda, but bhaktiananda hmm, means the self-loving in relation to its source. And so, that ninth chapter begins, Radhavidya says that the king of knowledge and the secret of secrets, the king of secrets, is, is to be a devotee. And um, in the, it begins then to explain what is bhakti, and it does use the words, susukam kartam avayam. Susukam, sukam means happy. Uh, so... It is described uh, to be, by nature, joyfully performed. So you're correct. You've understood correctly that bhakti is said to be an enjoyable practice. And and that said, it is enjoyable comparatively to other uh, practices that are also aimed at attaining a transcendental goal, or other practices that are 
as well ego-effacing. As I mentioned, the middle chapters of the Gita being the theology, they're about bhakti. And this bhakti involves another bhakti rasa, as we sometimes describe it, the aesthetic, sacred experience of reciprocal love with our source. Um, in this, uh, two are involved, as I say, our self and our source. And in most of the other Eastern paths, if not all of them, at least the, the popular ones in contemporary spirituality here in the West, um, we find an emphasis only on the destruction of the false self and the happiness that may come from that. Certainly it's a relief to to stop that, to destroy the false self that's giving us so much suffering, sorrow, the ego. Um, that would be a great relief, but it doesn't constitute the full face of happiness. And so, as a practice, a practice aimed at such is understandably not going to be as joyful as a path that has as its aim not only the destruction of the false self, the deconstruction of the false self, but the deconstruction of the false self in the context of establishing a relationship, reciprocal, loving rapport with our source. Um, Let us use the example, or let us compare in the path of Gyan, for example, Gyan Yoga. The student is thought to advance by detachment. Now that's not a very user-friendly idea, that through knowledge we come to understand that our attachments, as the Gita says, are the source of our misery. Gita says that that uh, the attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. So detachment will end suffering. This is the teaching of the Buddha. And end suffering, stop thirsting or desiring in relation to sense objects. And give up the attachment to such. The attachment to such is what's constructing this false I. Our sense of my produces a sense of I, and in fact, nothing belongs to me. So, nothing is mine. The I that arises out of that is false as well. So, to deconstruct that I is to involves the acts of detachment or the detachment that is the corollary of knowledge. If I have knowledge that suffering arises from attachment, 
and the and the to act in knowledge is to give up such attachments. So that's a, a bitter pill to swallow, right? Mm. Um, because that's what our whole identity is based on. That so we have to kind of kill our false identity, so to speak, and. Um, so it's a t- it's a tall order. Uh, now, while in the path of gyan, we advance by such detachment. By contrast, in the path of bhakti, we advance by attachment. Whereas it, attachment is the problem, it's not attachment that's the problem. It's attachment to that which doesn't endure, the desire to possess when that which doesn't belong to me, for example. And so, rather, attachment to, rather than to sense objects, to that in a way that fosters a false eye, that's a unit of the suffering, that in as much as it cannot be maintained, it's constantly under threat, and so we have to be, defend ourselves, and, Look out for ourselves. There's a pervading kind of fear and anxiety that goes with that false self. So, in bhakti, what we we advance not by detachment, but by attachment. But attachment not to sense objects to foster a false eye, but rather attachment to our source, to Bhagwan, to Krishna, and to those who are attached to him, his devotees. This will foster another kind of I, a real I, an enduring I, because the object to which one becomes attached is enduring. Hmm? Do you understand? Hmm? And and happy by nature, hmm? Krishna is 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 also Satchidananda, Sorya in a, in a, in a microcosmic or atomic sense, so to speak. So by sangha, by adding on rather than giving up, then we advance in bhakti. And detachment, rather than being the means within bhakti, Rupa Goswami says that knowledge and detachment are not angas or limbs of the body, the angi of bhakti. Hmm. However, while they are not the, the practices, of you will, of, of, of bhakti and practice, they don't constitute something that is uh, termed bhakti and practice, like hearing about Krishna, chanting about Krishna, or angas or limbs of bhakti, meditating upon Krishna. Hmm. While the, the detachment is not a limb of bhakti, it is a something that manifests in the devotee hmm, as he advances by another method. Hmm. You understand? Hmm. Advances by attachment to Krishna, attachment to, to bhakti itself. Attachment to bhakti has really two sides, in a sense. To bhakti, to bhaktas, to devotees, to bhagwan, hmm, the object of bhakti. It has two sides. 
in one sense. What is that? My attachment to bhakti means that I want to do the things that are favorable for bhakti. And the other side is, the things that are unfavorable to bhakti, I don't want to do those. So that second part is where the detachment comes. The detachment comes in the context of, well, attachment to bhakti, and then finding the things that are unfavorable to bhakti, if I'm attached to bhakti, I give them up. It's not a direct focus on detachment, but a direct focus on attachment hmm, to Krishna, to bhakti, hmm, that has this side to it. Hmm. And so, now, here comes the pain you're asking about in the context of bhakti. Hmm. Well, I think that um, one has to deal with such um, philosophically really is uh, I want to say philosophically is the way in which we um, uh, I want to say philosophically and I guess theologically I would add to it um, if let us say we're put in a difficult physically difficult situation Let's say, for example, we've been um, kidnapped by terrorists and thrown into a cell, and it's physically very difficult. How will you deal with that? You have to internalize, and you have to become philosophical. And you have to think of something larger than your present situation and identify with that in order to make the situation tolerable. When I was very young, in sixth grade, I had a girlfriend. In those days, they used to make hearts on the frost. It was in Chicago area on the bus. So-and-so loves so-and-so, and you know, put an arrow through it. It's different than they do today, sexting one another and so forth. <laughs> it was quite innocent, comparatively. At any rate... Um, something happened and it, you know, it, it uh, went south and so I was devastated by that although I'd never even talked to her I don't think. <laughs> and so my, my mother hmm, spoke to me and she gave me a bigger picture basically hmm. and so I thought at the time Oh, that's how you deal with these type of things. You have to go to the bigger picture. Have some, I didn't say think you know the word philosophical at the time, but something like that. It struck me at the time, and I always remember oh, the way to deal with these things is that they're not; they seem larger than they are. There's a bigger picture in life. By going to the bigger picture, how exactly how small they are becomes apparent, and you can move forward and you can deal with the issue at hand. So. Um, now, in bhakti, of course, the picture is very big. It's bigger than just deconstructing the cell, the false self, hmm? and the, the positive content and possibility and potential that lies in bhakti ananda far exceeds the the, the, the potential of atmananda, hmm? the joy of the self, so to speak. Uh, uh, we have a book, joy of the self, but the book, joy of the self, speaks about the possibility of bhakti ananda, which is there in potential in the jiva. 
is good for, has the good fortune to take to the path of bhakti and, and so forth. So the picture is huge. I mean, it's huge. It's so huge that Rupa Goswami has said the deconstruction of the false self that that leads to the to the ananda, the joy of the self, that is similar to the joy of Brahman, that the jiva is sometimes likened to a particle of. Um, that joy, if it could be multiplied a trillion fold, it would not compare to a tiny, tiny atomic particle of the ananda, the bliss of Prem Bhakti. It's a very strong statement that he makes. So we take him on his word. It's a bigger picture um, than merely the deconstruction of the self. And we also have for experience that the path itself, as we're discussing, is joyful by comparison to, let's say, Gyanmar, what I'm comparing it to, or other paths that are simply about about uh, effacing the false material ego. It's a very e- easy and joyful path because it involves the senses and bringing them in touch with sense objects, which we readily do. We hear sounds, we taste tastes, we smell aromas. Uh, with our tactile sense, we 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 feel sensations. Uh, and if this these vehicles, if you will, of the senses in touch with sense objects is problematic when we're in touch with them in pursuit of fulfilling or um, uh, feeding the appetite for taking, for possessing that the false eye is all about. Uh, we're already doing that. If we can do the same thing, touch things, hear things, like we do in bhakti, we touch the, the sacred uh, tulsi and chant our mantra daily, a couple hours a day in meditation. We engage in hearing this beautiful sound of kirtan and so forth. The beautiful aesthetic experience of the deity to which we offer pies with cream on the top like you did today and so on and, and so many palatable things for the for the palate. Hmm? I mean, this is what people are doing anyway. But the opposite effect comes hmm? because it's done in the consciousness of service to Krishna. Um, it's a type of yoga, bhakti yoga, and the, the false self is deconstructed and the real self comes out. So it's very user-friendly. So as the path is very joyful, comparatively, then what? Compared to, what, sitting in a room looking at a white wall for eight hours a day? Hmm. Sometimes in some Buddhist Zen um, monasteries, this is, this is said to be a practice. I mean, this is very user-friendly and joyful by comparison. Hmm. Um, and so, while one may not have attained the experience of Rupa Goswami that he speaks from when he says, what is the measure of the Ananda? I mean, obviously you can't measure it, but still he says, if you could take an atomic, take a, 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 the bliss of Brahman, it would not compare to a tiny atomic particle of the bliss of Bhakti. Hmm? 
Um, in Brahman, there's no other. There's no experience of another. So he's saying, in relation to another, the capacity to love or experience Ananda is enhanced. That makes sense. And so while you may not have experience of that, you have experience of the path and you can understand logically, well, that does sound like a more user-friendly path hmm, than uh, stopping thinking, think about Krishna, stopping using the use of the senses, which is practically impossible. Hmm? You understand? But rather to use them in the service of Krishna. So the path is easy and therefore joyful hmm? comparatively to the path of of detachment unto itself. And so arguably, Andrew Bhagasami makes the argument, but I'm saying it's reasonable based on our experience of the path. Hmm? Um, the goal is also more joyful. Hmm? So it's a bigger picture. So I think you have to uh, um, enter with your mind and intelligence into the bigger picture. Hmm? And after all, it's a joyful path by comparison. Hmm? And by comparison to what? By other comparison to other ego-effacing paths. So it's an ego-effacing path. So there's some trouble there. Hmm? The trouble is not so much with the path, but the trouble is with our attachment. <laughs> We're on a different path. So to give up that path, and to actually take to the path of bhakti, hmm? wholeheartedly, then there'll be no trouble. But we still hang on, so therefore there's some trouble. It doesn't come directly from the path. <laughs> um, so, comparatively, but again, this this is this is the great challenge, if you will. If you believe, as most people do, uh, as evidenced by their actions, that there's, that there's a difference between their consciousness, self, and their brain and body. Then this is a path for demonstrating that practically to yourself and arguably to others hmm? by the external observable as we were speaking the, the, the other morning um, symptoms hmm? that correspond with the deeper unobservable inner experience the external symptoms being the rising above of human passions which is superhuman Externally, that's observable in a sadhu, in a saint. Internally, it corresponds with, well, whatever the path is talking about that has brought you to that as well. Arguably, that that is, while not something we can demonstrate objectively, the, what we can see objectively should make the reporting of the sadhu, of his or her experience, credible in our eyes. Hmm. And so, so it's a, it's a great it's a great challenge hmm? to say that, that uh, I'm I'm different from I'm not physical. Hmm? I'm a unit of consciousness, and consciousness is not an emergent property of the brain. I'm not just a robot. Hmm? People will would if when presented like that would probably people would say, yeah, I'm not just a robot. 
my life has meaning, purpose, and so forth. Then, well, demonstrate it, because the, the, the brain is doing a lot of things that we think we're doing, as the Gita says. Kartahamiti manyate, ankarvi mudatma. We think we're doing things that are actually being done by the, by the gunas, by, the, by Rajas Thomas, by, by the brain and body. Hmm? The gunas are physically and psychically the makeup, hmm? those, those influences of the natural world, hmm? of our false eye. So once you have the unit of consciousness has turned it on, hmm? um, and of course, it's interesting. I was reading a book about quantum mechanics because the interesting idea that 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 nature is a is is really a bundle of potentialities, and it requires an observer to to bring about action. Um, so anyway, we are the observer. We give meaning to matter. Um, so. That's the way people think in terms of how they act. That would, we would draw that from the way you act. That's how you think. Hmm? That you're not a robot. Hmm? And that life has an overarching meaning and so forth. And some people argue that we are just zombies. And so they can't, they often say, walk that talk very well. Hmm? So, uh, what this yoga, what this spiritual sadhana is about, is, is 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 walking that talk, and it's it's a very, it's like a, you know, it's a it's a fire walk in one sense, like you have to walk on the coals something like there. So, but but it's a it's still it's um so you have to walk on the coals, but I don't know. There's I guess there's. Or something soothing you can put on the feet in, in the bhakti path, something like that. <laughs> it makes it makes it easier, but you still have to cross over. Hmm? And so those should not be moments really of distress. Those should be moments of of great um, of of that remind us of the challenge and the. Uh, it's just like like well, let's say you go hiking. And you want to climb Mount Shasta, which is up north here in California. So I've never done it, but it must be quite a hike. And at a certain point, it may get difficult. And so, but if you want to attain the goal, and that's what you're there for, and so forth, then you even get something out of the the difficulty that's involved in it. Hmm. Um, it's not a deterrent. In other words, and uh, in, in a sense, when the heavy lifting gets a little heavy, then it's said, "Well, then, the, then the measure of one's bhakti is showing." So it's a, you can look at it like this: "Is oh, this is on a scale now? How am I doing? I'm finding it troublesome. It shouldn't be troublesome if I'm in the right space. If I love um, you, then whatever it may take to." Uh, serve you because I love you hmm. um, that ordinarily might be troublesome in relation to another person is not so because it's a labor of love hmm. 
we look at the child in 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 the in relation to parental love. I mean, if someone was to come and pass stool and urine on you, you'd be pretty pissed off, you know, pretty put off by it. What's, you know, what's this? But there, because of the affection on the part of the parent for the child, it's it's not an issue. The Bhagavatam says, it smells like roses. <laughs> Such as the, you know, because it's an illusion, but I mean, just give me an example. So, in bhakti, the labor is properly understood, the labor of love. We try in life, as I often say, to acquire happiness and avoid distress. That's what we do. In bhakti, we don't do either of those. Our objective is only to serve Krishna. And if it requires some endeavor, and it's difficult to serve, it doesn't matter if that's our objective, or if it's easy and enjoyable that day. It really doesn't matter, because we're not, we're not uh, bouncing back and forth between these two polar opposites of material existence. These are the two tracks on which our material life runs to try to enjoy hmm, and uh, and acquire, let's say, happiness and avoid distress. Hmm. Bog and tiag. Hmm. Um, it can be also termed enjoyment and renunciation. Hmm. Get rid of things that I consider troublesome and acquire things that make me happy. I think make me happy. So we, and then there are paths. There are paths given in the sacred text how to acquire and enjoy, and then how to how to be wiser and renounce because the enjoyment is not really such. You know, and the appetite will never be fulfilled, and so forth. So the wiser path is the path of detachment. But each of these are worldly centered. To enjoy the world, exploit the world, to get away from the world. Bhakti is not about enjoying the world, neither about getting away from the world. It's not about exploitation of the world for my false eye or renunciation of it in an effort to do away with the false eye because it's troublesome to get away from suffering. It's not worldly centered like these two paths. Exploitation, renunciation, and in the middle comes bhakti, dedication. And it's not worldly-centered, but it takes us out of the world, and it can be fully performed within the world. You can be in the world, but not of the world. So, dedication to Krishna, and in the context of that, then some things will be given up, and some things will be accepted, things that are unfavorable or favorable, respectively. Hmm. So this is how to, how to, how to think about it. Um, I've given an example before at uh, one of our helpers at Madhavan in Costa Rica. When he came to work one day, he, previous couple of days he had been digging trenches, which is pretty hard work, so I thought maybe I'll give him something lighter to do today. When I was explaining that to him, he looked at me with a strange look on his face, and he said, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm not digging ditches or picking flowers. I'm serving you. You're the hefe here. Hmm? That's what I'm here for. So 
whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. My my work, my job, is to is to please you. So it didn't matter to him either way. Hmm? You ask him, how's it going? Gracias de Dios. I've got work, and I'm working for you. You're nice. Hmm? <laughs> it's a nice uh, example from the world of the uh, disposition of the real devotee. That's why it's said with regard to the classical Varnashram or caste system of India, with a, with a, with a, from a Vaishnava perspective, from the perspective of bhakti, which is the best caste? It's the sudra, the laborer, which people think that's the lower lower caste. We think because the sudra, is, he, he knows. It. I just serve. That's what I do. Hmm? The other caste, the people come from other other psychological dispositions, which is what these castes are really supposed to be about. Hmm? We all have psychological and physiological propensities and so forth. So there's a system for arranging the labor of the society such that it corresponds with the physiological and psychological makeup of people and giving them certain duties in society accordingly and so forth. But all of this, of course, is to be transcended in bhakti. And... um, so in one sense, from the bhakti perspective, the sudra varna caste, that's the best one. And you may note that the sudras, many of whom, for example, um, you meet in India, they, they drive rickshaws. You know what a rickshaw is, right? It's like a human taxi. Right? And they all have sikhas like this. And you think, oh, he's a devotee. No, that's the sudras, they do that. They designate themselves as such. Hmm. With this kind of sika tied in the knot, and the knot came undone. Hmm. That is not good. (laughs) (laughs) We untie the sika and think, now I'm deconstructing my material ego. And then we tie the knot. Hmm. We deconstruct with Brahma Gayatri and construct it with the Kam Gayatri. Hmm. I'm establishing a connection with Krishna. So, identifying myself as a servant. So, much to be learned then from the peasants, hmm. right? In the uneducated sector, hmm. unburdened by intellectual necessity for everything to be reasonable. Hmm? Uh, it's not. Life does not move, uh, I must say, by reason alone, but it's not driven, it's not reason-driven. Hmm? We really grow and progress by giving. And it would be thought logically, I guess mathematically, that if we have something and we give it, we end up with less. Hmm? With the experiences, we end up with some invisibly more. Hmm. So life moves transrationally, if you will. Hmm. This is the, the secret of life. So to be unburdened by the necessity for things to have to make sense. Not that, I, not that bhakti doesn't make sense, and it does answer to our intellectual needs, and in the context of answering to our in, intellectual uh, need, it gives a good lesson to the intellect, bashing to the intellect, 
letting it know that it's 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 not sufficient in itself hmm, for comprehensive knowing. It's not a perfect way of knowing. It's an imperfect way of knowing. It should be used in bhakti, but revelation. Hmm, if, if the Godhead wants us to know about him, it's possible to know. And so, prayerfully we go, go forward. The ideal of bhakti in Vrindavan and the gopis, they have no education. They just love Krishna and all the inhabitants there. So their position has been given as the highest position. Not the scholars, the Brahmins, the Rishis, and so forth, in bhakti. So, in another sense, much to be learned from the peasant sector, the laboring class, simple, simple people. Hmm. They are not cut out of happiness. <laughs> so that's some way for you to think about. Mm. when there's some difficulty in, in bhakti, and that difficulty may come in different ways. It may come in in letting go of things that um, it's become apparent, need to be let go of. It may come just in the form of cold or austerity of a living situation, in Nashram, for example, there are some difficulties. Hmm? They're healthy hmm? compared to modern society where they tell you, you know, every every so often you've got to get up and move around for this many minutes and and so forth. So a life, lifestyle that just incorporates that within it is, is arguably more balanced. Hmm? Um, and those are things that don't go away no matter where you are. So there's, there's those those type of things, and this is, of course, all in a stage of our practicing life. And we're there's a theory, and we're pursuing it. We still, our experience will oftentimes still be relative to our conditioning. But, but those those kind of difficulties, the difficulties of other people, you have to live with other people in an ashram, for example. And those things come up even in even in married life. You have to live with somebody, and she's not, or he's not always the greatest, you know, company, hmm. right? So those things come up. Hmm. We shouldn't think that they all go away. Hmm. No, and it, it's and it's really just a perspective. That's how to end that, the problem of death. Is 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 really a, can be resolved philosophically. Hmm and conducting oneself accordingly. If the problem of death is that I cannot take things with me, then let go of them now. Then you'll solve the death problem. And of course then you would say, but then then I can't go. I can't, not only can I not take things with me, but I, it appears that I won't go. But the, only the I has arisen out of attachment to things can't go. And you, the higher I, can give up the things that are not favorable to bhakti. Hmm? And so the real I is coming out in the practical application of the philosophy. And so there's no there's no death. There's a biological demise. But in this instance, it's, 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 it's something that the I is observing hmm? and un, un, undisturbed by. Mm-hmm.
So, so it's, it's joyful. There's no, there's no difficulty. Does that help? And also, you, you ask how to how to how to um, deal with that um, struggling on the path or difficulties that arise and so forth. Camaraderie hmm, with others. You could be sure they've experienced something similar, or they would laugh at what you're having difficulty with and think, "If only I had those difficulties." Hmm? Then they can share their difficulties with you, and you can laugh at them. <laughs> only I had those difficulties, and this puts them in perspective. Again, they're they're very they're they're, they're small. Hmm? They don't really pertain to you. They only pertain to the you that is a product of material conditioning, that false I. Hmm. And so, by camaraderie with others, hmm, you'll find they've gone through similar difficulties or they'll put your difficulties in perspective as you can put theirs in perspective. In this way, we can... We can um, um, have the strength of good company. This is a very big point in bhakti, major point, the strength of good company to carry us through to the end of the day, something like that. And and we find that sometimes I'm the one carrying the day for others, and sometimes others are carrying the day for me. And so there should be some vulnerability. We're not here like machos against the world, you know. Some vulnerability. You're you're in a stage of practice. There will be difficulties. There will be weaknesses, and you will be strong by expressing them to others. Confidence for guidance and help, and and so forth. That's how you get strength from that, right? Yeah. What else? Yes. You mentioned how in the stage of Ruchi one is attached to the practice of bhakti, and then in the stage of asakti, one is attached to the object of bhakti. Yeah. Um, but then we also hear that, that the goal is not Krishna, but love of Krishna. And also, like, what's the difference? Because I think if I'm attached to bhakti, then I want to hear, chant, and remember Krishna. And if I'm attached to Krishna, then I want to hear about well, first of all, it's not that in Asakti there's no attachment to Bhakti. Hmm? And it's not that in Ruchi there's no attachment to the object. But it's a question of prominence. Hmm? And, and, and it's also a question of um, focus and detail. So, yes, when I am attached to bhakti and it's reliably bringing me a taste, bliss that enables me to retire, other concerns and so forth, it's, it's not, can't be independent of the object of bhakti. But the difference in asakti, the next stage, which is called attachment, is that the attachment to bhakti, which has a corresponding attachment to the object of bhakti, becomes more specific. Hmm? And so 
Mahaprabhu, for example, says, Ayinanda Tanuja King Karam, Patitamam Vishanebhavamudu, his prayers is, this, is a more specific uh, petition. Hmm? So it's a um, kind of focusing and um, honing. The object becomes, as the object of one's love, Krishna, becomes more specific in terms of a particular type of bhakti that is arising in the heart, and the object corresponds with it. So as the attachment to bhakti becomes more specific, then the object of bhakti corresponds with it. You could have... um, love for Krishna as a friend or as a, as in a romantic sense and so forth. So the object will be slightly, present himself slightly different. Hmm? So it's a question of refining. And, and so the, the refining of the object of devotion um, is uh, very much takes place in the stage of asakti. And that attachment then to that particular face, if you will, or form of Krishna with certain qualities, corresponding leelas and so forth, that attachment now is really giving rise to an identity, just like our false identity is a product of our attachments. So the attachment to Krishna in a particular way gives rise to a particular type of identity hmm? as the friend of Krishna. I'm feeling myself as the friend of Krishna. I'm seeing myself as the friend of Krishna. Hmm? as a lover of Krishna. Something like that. What else? Yes? It's said sometimes that when you're on the path of bhakti, that you do certain practices, and your attainment will then become quick, quickly realized. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be quick, quickly realized? I think that it means that bhakti is very powerful, and again, it's it's I think it's comparative to other um, practices, and um, it's a good question because what might be long to you might be short for me. If I have a bigger picture, if I'm seeing, oh, it's only two lifetimes, three lifetimes. <laughs> it's just like when you're a kid then to grow from 16 to 17 or 17 to 18 if I could only become 18 I'm how old are you 18 and three quarters 17 and three quarters the kids will say they want to become a little older and they're like focused on when you become 40 50 or even earlier you think well this is going to take a few years okay I'm going to go to school for four years okay Four years, you know, <laughs> when you're younger. Four years, I've got to wait four years. Oh, man. You know, so, as time, <laughs> then you start thinking in terms of decades. Hmm? Yeah, you know, so, so, so it's uh, relative. Time is relative to one's perspective. And one has um, a larger vision, he'll think. He's entered into the idea of. I've been material existence from a time without beginning. And um, within a few lifetimes, I will attain bhakti. That's uh, so short. And he is a perspective on what is a lifetime. Now we think a lifetime is everything, this life. So 
that's one way to think about those statements. But I think overall the the those kind of statements are uh, comparative. They have they, they speak of the power of bhakti, hmm? the power of bhakti to deconstruct the ego. It's very it's very pragmatic. I mean, if the if the false eye is 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 an enjoying exploiting ego, well, one way to deconstruct it is to stop trying to be an exploiter. Hmm? But the best way to not be an exploiter is to be a server. Hmm? So it's the very antithesis of the exploiting, taking, so-called enjoying ego hmm? is cultivated. Hmm? And so it has great power in comparison just to just comparison to just try to stop being an exploiter. And how would you do that? <laughs> what some paths are about that. This is what Buddhism is about in one sense. Stop desiring. That's the whole problem. You know, it does give some method for doing it, but um, arguably, this is one of the arguments, of course, of the path. People choose their path as they identify with the logic of them, why each one is best, and as they should. But the logic of the bhakti path is, as I say, um, it has more positive, arguably, content, hmm? makes it more powerful. And let's say, for example, another, it, in the classical sense, if you read yoga sutras, in order to practice ashtanga yoga, you have to practice celibacy. So, this, from the bhakti perspective, is a weakness of the path of Astanga Yoga. Because bhakti doesn't require that one practice celibacy. One could be a householder like Bhakti Vinod and had ten children. Hmm? That's the power of the path. Hmm? Jnana also is, is, is a limb of the path of jnana, classically speaking, is, is also brahmacharya. And we don't need to give any real contemporary fancy translations of that. It means celibacy. Hmm. So, this is a way in which we speak of the power of bhakti. It, it, it doesn't require such prerequisites. Hmm. It has the power to deal with that situation. Hmm. And in spite of it, you can make progress and so forth. Um, this is one of the kind of statements you're talking about. Bhakti yoga, janayati ashu, ashu vairagyam jnanam cha. And very quickly, detachment and knowledge comes. So it's saying that do bhakti, detachment and knowledge, which are the goal, detachment and knowledge of, 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 of jnan, um, it comes easily in the context of bhakti. Um, at the same time, it said bhakti, bhav bhakti, bhakti and ecstasy is, 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 is sudulab, rare to attain. But when it says it's rare to attain, it means it can't be attained by other practices, not by yoga, not by jnana. Mm-hmm. And by sadhana, but only by sadhana, having passed through ruchi and asakti. Mm-hmm. It speaks like that. Hmm. So, I think most of the statements that speak about the how easy or how quickly one will attain the goal are comparative statements that uh, seek to emphasize the power 
of bhakti, independent power of bhakti. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is said that bhakti's efficacy uh, has partly the root to the fact that there is a focus, there's an attachment. <coughs> As a spirit soul, we have attachments, we have desires. So we want that, to attach ourselves. So we attach ourselves to something spiritual, and that becomes well, in one sense, if there's someone else involved there, there's help. You want to go it alone, or do you want help? Our position is, I'll take all the help I can I can get here. So, um, in in one sense, the gyan is kind of the going it going it going it alone, so to speak. There's self endeavor involved. Hmm? Self-endeavor is detachment, mamukshatva, aspiration for mukti, and the culture of detachment is a very self-effort-based type of path. In bhakti, the effort is to get grace. So, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a giving up. Hmm? It's a dependence, acknowledging a dependence, getting help from the other side from the Srup Shakti. Hmm? And this is the, what is the Srup Shakti? Srup Shakti is the essence of bhakti and it's what makes the whole of the leela of Krishna go round. Hmm? How powerful is it? Hmm? That it turns the all-knowing, all-pervasive Brahman into, into a wandering youth in question. Hmm? Does Radha love me? Hmm. This is Krishna. Bhakti's doing that. Hmm. So what is her power? So to invoke that and take advantage of that. Hmm. This is not really a self-effort path, but a path of, of grace. Hmm. So help. All right, what is the time? All right, we'll stop there. Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Kod Nitananda ki jai, Kod Bhaktabrinda ki jai, Kod Premanande.